Hey, Ryan. Hello. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too, man. Yeah, another episode of Inhabit. I keep losing count. I think we're up to, we're up, we're up to almost a year. I know. Um, I don't know what count we're on, like 10 or something like that, maybe? 10, 11. I don't know. We're going to have a, a was... full anniversary episode soon. Yes. Okay. I get, sorry. I had you talking to me twice. I opened up the YouTube thing because I know there's chat in there. And uh, there's an echo of Corey. <laughs> <laughs> All I know, man, is when we have our one-year anniversary show, you better take me out for dinner. Hey, man, it might be over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can be, be wine and dined over Zoom. Perfect. What are we going to talk about today? I think today um, we had something special in mind, like we always do every month. Um, I think we were going to spend some time today to talk about just this whole notion of truth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially uh, in the midst of all these conspiracy theories that we see being circulated. Um, I know I am through my social media networks. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're seeing much the same. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, about a week ago, you actually were the one who had the idea for doing the show. Like, hey, let's maybe talk about some conspiracy theories. I've got mm -hmm. a couple people asking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So we decided to put together a show and we were going to call it Inhabit Your Truth. Um, we'll talk about more about that in just a second, but it was interesting, Ryan, because since the time, again, it was about a week ago, you had the idea since that time you floated this idea, we've had two new big conspiracy theories that started getting circulated around oh. the web. Oh, um, the first one was, uh, pandemic. Oh yeah. I, I don't know much about it to be honest, but I saw I don't it. Know. I, don't I saw know like the title. Yeah, apparently Bill Gates is trying to, you know, create this massive worldwide eugenics program and oh, we're all yeah. going to get okay. tagged and vaccinated. I have seen a lot of things going around about, about him. Yeah. Um, so Bill Gates is kind of public enemy number one uh, for a certain group of people. Uh, and then we have uh, our, our newest one, uh, what people are calling Obamagate, <laughs> which um, apparently no one is able to actually tell you uh, what it means. It's just sort of uh, one of these catchphrases that's, that's getting passed along um, and is being passed along in particular by, you know, our own conspiracy theorist in chief, President Trump. Uh -huh. um, you know, let's, let's not forget that this is the guy who, um, you know, sort of made his first splash in politics by questioning Obama's uh, birth certificate. Um, right. That was the first major conspiracy theory that kind of led up to uh, his rising popularity um mm -hmm. and you know my sense of it right now ryan is that we're just seeing kind of more of the same we're seeing an act of what i believe here's my conspiracy theory mm -hmm. i believe what we're seeing is an active um and aggressive disinformation campaign mm -hmm. um and its goal is basically to disarm accountability it's to double down on cynicism. It's mm -hmm. to create sort of enough mass confusion and enough sort of plausible deniability that the real genuine conspiracies that we should all be, you know, concerned about mm -hmm. um, are completely ignored. It's a, it's a deflection tactic more than anything. That's what we saw in 2016 with things like Pizzagate, mm -hmm. um, the idea that Hillary right. Clinton was part of this big, you know, uh, group of pedophiles and that's how they're you know the global elite was was exerting their control by blackmailing people by forcing them into pedophilic relationships and right. i mean it just becomes this this mess where um you know any one of us were so consumed in information 
And there's just so much information out there, bad information, good information, et cetera, that we can constellate. We can sort of like, it, it becomes like this Rorschachian kind of uh, mm. test. You know what I mean? Where we look yeah. out, we see this chaotic sort of uh, uh, just sprawl of perspectives and data points. And we right. constellate them in particular ways in order to fit our own preconceived biases, our own narratives, our own political agendas, uh, yeah. what have you. And it's, 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 you know, it's a little bit too easy for us, I think, to fall into that, into that trap. Um, and that's yeah. what we wanted to talk about today. You know, just one final thought, Ryan, and I want to get yep. your sort of introduction on this is there's a refrain I've been kind of repeating lately, which is that, you know, integral doesn't tell us much about what the contents of your view Right. should be right right yep it doesn't tell us what we should believe yep but it does have a lot to say about how we believe right and, and has a lot to say about how we hold truth for ourselves and in our lives and how we embody that truth and how we enact that truth yeah from moment to moment from day to day um yep. so this is just sort of to you know kind of briefly set the table for our yeah our I appreciate that's a great introduction. I was happy that you brought up a few of these uh, conspiracies that are floating around because I have also seen, yeah, it's, it definitely got pumped up in the last month for sure. Last, it wasn't like from the very beginning of the coronavirus, but it's like two last two to four weeks. It's been pretty uh, strong, as strong as I've seen it since like some of those ones you mentioned from a few years back. And, you know, let's just go out and throw out that definition, too, of conspiracy, since that's part of the conversation, along with truth, mm -hmm. conspiracy, a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. That's what we mean by conspiracy. Which happens and, all the time. Right, 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 right. So we just want to put those uh, in there. And, and I think what's interesting, too, is when we're in diving in this discussion more, there can be a conspiracy of like an individual or a very specific group like, hey, let's get together and do this and fool people so we can get away with X, Y, Z. I think also, too, there can be unconscious conspiracies that unfold where it doesn't have necessarily an intention. And yet it happens like people unconsciously are trying to trick people or try to pull one over on folks, but they don't know that they're doing it, too. And I think it's always important to. To, to feel into the flavor of what we feel about a conspiracy and also whether how big a scale, like is it individual or like if you span out, sometimes I think we as humanity dupe ourselves and with the immensity of, of, of reality and the complexity of the of our evolving existence, for me, I'm always trying to figure out too, it's like, okay, is it a conspiracy like this one person like, oh, this dude right here in the government, that kind of level. Mm -hmm. pulling something over is it a bigger group is it like something more sprawling through our society or is it something like oh actually yeah some bad shit's happening and things aren't working and there are people who are collectively maintaining a, a particular harmful system but it's more on an unconscious level of of our collective existence you know just already just talking this way it's like can we tease out things that's what i find happens when we talk about truth and conspiracy is things get collapsed so quickly you know with the social media and echo chambers and as we've said before and uh, quoting bill burr like everybody goes to i'mright.com and you know <laughs> and finds their thing so like 
And this, and again, similar to what you're saying about integral theory, not saying what you should conclude or not conclude that I'm saying something similar here. I'm, I'm not saying whether a particular conspiracy is real or not, just saying like, can we widen up uh, our perspectives and how we're, in, how we're thinking so we can have more discernment. Yeah. So, because then the thing is like for a, an actual conspiracy that's really happening, we'll be able to um, fully invest ourselves in countering it, you know? Okay. So, but if we're always collapsing, we don't have the discernment. And, you know, one of my favorite things I've seen, and I haven't done this yet. I was going to, I thought I had the idea to create a meme. So if anybody's listening, feel free to do this. And sometimes I'll see people hold up, have a meme on Facebook it'll have like three different people and it representing different kinds of people in a conspiracy. Like this person says this, but really this, it's this thing over here. And, but no, it's this thing over here. And really there's a, an, another person, the creator of the image, who is the holder of the real truth. But the creator of that image is never included in the image. And therefore they're not subject to the same discernment or criticism of which they are articulating themselves. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, look at how smart I am and how much I know about all the conspiracy about this thing, but I don't, I don't put myself in that image. But the, the arrows always go to infinity, yeah. you know? And of course, we can't just stop there because then it's just nihilistic and there, nothing exists and nothing's right. real. But it's funny, where do you stop? How, where do you stop questioning and why do you stop? Why do you say at a certain point, I'm convinced and I'm done, I'm not gonna question. How does that happen? How do you determine it such that you can assess your own self on your own performance of, a, of determining your truth by whatever criterion you have. If you don't have a criteria to assess truth and you have no way of, of reflecting on it, it becomes problematic because you're maybe right, maybe wrong, but I find it draining. I don't even right. bother with that conversation. I just, I simply ignore it. And it's not about your conclusion. It's about that. I don't trust you. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I don't trust your process yeah. and I'm, and there's like a billion other people in the world. So I'm sure I'm going to be able to find, a better expression and more robust expression of a conspiracy or a particular truth. Right. Yeah. No, you said, you said a bunch of stuff in there. I want to, I want to, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I went on. A I, I, I love what you, when you're talking about sort of this meta accountability, you Yeah. Know? So, you know, the people who are actually creating the frames within which the conversation is unfolding are rarely held to account. I'm going to use meta just enough for my own benefit. Right. Yeah, exactly. It actually reminds me of XKCD comic. XKCD. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. One of my all time favorite comics. It is like the smartest comic out there. Um, and there's this one comic where he goes, uh, you know, one, one, one character says to the other, you know, I, I kind of think that atheists are just as bad as uh, religious fundamentalists. And the other character says, well, the important thing is that you found a way to feel superior to both. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> which is yeah, you know, right, right. Which which is something that we see in a lot of these kind of conspiratorial discussions. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people who are discussing conspiracy theories, which seem to have, you know, something like QAnon, for example, which seems to have a really heavy partisan slant to it. Like mm -hmm. the Democrats are literally Satanists who are yeah. uh raping and eating children, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of the QAnon claim. And it's highly yeah. and, and by the way, Trump is sort of the the hero of the story and here he comes down the line to sort of you know save these poor children and you know um when you have something like that when you have that sort of like intensely partisanized conspiracy theory but we hold it in this sort of pseudo integral way where we're like it's this kind of like um 
attempt to establish true neutrality. Well, mm. I think both sides are sort of wrong. And I think, you know, there's this lack of, of real discernment. Yeah. Because we say something like, well, this orange truth coming from mainstream media is partial. And then this amber truth coming from, you know, whatever sort of fringe media uh, or even red truth is also kind of partial. And so I'm going to put them in the same, I'm going to put them on the same sort of platform together and say, well, they're both, you know, I, I can just yeah. sort of throw them out the window. Well, we're not actually discerning that like, yeah, they're both partial, but one is a little bit less partial. Yeah, than I think that that's where, and I'm going to use these terms lightly and uh, because you know, there's some people who are probably have a stronger philosophical background than I do, but, you know, the, the downfall of postmodernism, you know, of contextualism, uh, where like, it's incredibly useful. Like part of what you said, I like actually think is a big deal, but it's like, what do we do with that? Like, it's important to recognize the the developmental differences in values and experiences. Um, but if you just go, well, they're both the kind of same, like there is a subtle, like sort of giving up a nihilistic sort of conclusion there, just like a shrugging of the shoulders, Yeah, you know? Uh, and it's so, it, like you said, it doesn't go far enough. It like, it does go to, to a certain extent that's needed of the context and um, understanding how different truths emerge mm -hmm. relative to values and different developmental capacities. Well, but it doesn't go far enough to say, okay, well, but are they different? You know, like how are they different? And right. what ways are they different? What ways do they have their own truths? And which ways are they at odds with one another that they, right. that they can't coexist? And so therefore we have to do something because reality keeps unfolding, even if we're shrugging our shoulders at the truth, which is, I think you're pointing to like something of the opposite problem of like, I fucking know I'm right. You know what I mean? And <laughs> however, like, then to go the other direction, it's like, oh, you know. I think you're on something big here that's a big problem. I'll go ahead, though. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that there's a tendency for people who, for example, who self-identify as integral to then say, well, so therefore, anything that I see in my view, this is an integral view, right? And so they sort of take it for granted yeah. that their view is, is itself an integral view because they self-identify as integral. And, th and then anyone who questions that view, they fall into a trap. Well, you're mm -hmm. not integral because you don't see this the way I do. And you know, I've had people tell me, you wouldn't know truth if it bit you in the ass, is what one uh, particularly aggressive person said to me. Um, <sighs> and you know, so it's, it's sort of, and this is, you know, you pointed to, I think, a performative contradiction uh, of, of the title that we're giving this show. Um, inhabit your truth. I mean, this is actually one of the sort yeah. of, uh, uh, you know, hermeneutics that got us into this mess to begin with. This whole yeah. notion of there's my truth and then there's your truth and, you know, there's someone else's truth and it's all relativized. And, you know, the funny thing about that is I think that there are hyper, again, hyper amber disinformation propaganda campaigns mm -hmm. who are able to hijack that postmodern sort of sentiment better than the postmodern liberals themselves have. Right. You know what I mean? So in yes. a way, the conservatives are out postmoderning. Yes. By using these modern platforms in a very particular way yes. for a very particular effect. And then the other point yes. I wanted to make, Ryan, mm -hmm. was to me, so much of this seems to come back to a show that we did a couple months ago about uncertainty. And this to me is the value of conspiracy theory. I have conspiracy theories that I like to pay attention to. There's a few rabbit holes that I find myself kind of falling down every once in a while and I got to climb my way back up. Um, 
And the value of that is to simply always call into question your sense of certainty, whether that certainty is coming from, you know, a mainstream kind of conventional media narrative that, that, you know, you're taking part of because you're living in this world and you're reading the news and you're consuming this stuff. Um, that that's one type of certainty, right? And that the conspiracy theorists say, no, 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 no. You know, there's, there's a lot more uncertainty than you can possibly imagine if you're only watching MSNBC and CNN. Cool. Fair enough. On the flip side of that, there are people who start, you know, sort of routing out these different conspiracy theories, because again, conspiracies do happen. There's, we can name a dozen of them that have actually, you know, been found to be legitimate conspiracy theories. Yeah, totally. Um, But the problem is, until there is actual credible evidence in order to prove your case that this conspiracy exists, you have to hold it lightly. You, the, the minute you begin to attach the same sort of certainty that you're trying to dislodge people from in the first place, you have fallen into the trap. And then it starts to take on all of the sort of qualities of any fundamentalist religion. You begin yeah. to separate people into believers and non-believers. Yeah. You begin to sort of talk down to people who don't mm. believe. You begin to think that your narrative, the narrative that you're running with, is the, the primary narrative that everything else needs to be folded into. Um, there's sort of this whole list that we can go yeah. down of, of these qualities that, again, it just it, it, it takes on the form of almost a fanatical religion, yeah. um, which is itself not an integral way to believe. Again, integral doesn't tell us what to believe. It just tells us how to believe. And that, mm-hmm. if anything, is, is actually enacting conspiracy from an amber point of view. This is my narrative reality. This yeah, is what's true. It's interesting, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw a random thought over here before I follow up on the more depth on what you just said. But um, I sometimes wonder, too, about disowned uh, development or uh, arrested development around certain things. So for example, in the United States, depends on a person's upbringing. Some people were raised in a very socialized mind, sociocentric background, you know, in religion. And so that was their experience. You know, for me, I wasn't really raised that way. Um, there was a little bit of that there, but not much, but like, you know, if a person hasn't had a full conscious experience of that, it could be also very easy for somebody to hijack something. It, it, from a higher level because they haven't worked through having a healthy socialized mind because we don't just get rid of that. We have our social groups and connections that doesn't go away. We're just not limited by it. We transcend and include, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so has a person really integrated and embraced their own tendencies to socialize in that way to, uh, to associate with others in particular configurations because we all do it's okay yeah. you know what i mean well on the so, internet obviously gives us the the ability to convene sort of these um what used to be fringe fringe perspectives yeah are now able to find so much more traction because people are able to sort of constellate themselves around them yeah right another side note of that i've probably said this before but uh it's a funny time we live in just the nature of being hyper connected uh the example i always give is like 50 years ago somebody in your neighborhood had a kooky idea whether they were right or wrong everybody just like bob shut the fuck up we don't want to hear it and bob would just go home and kick his can and but whatever and that'd be the end of it because he didn't have a platform but now every bob out there whether right or wrong can immediately get traction you can immediately have a site immediately have your own forums control the entire conversation if you don't agree then you're out whatever we have full control so 
that's giving some compassion basically to the fact that we have like some powerful means. Right. That's very hard to like, uh, to get past, you know, so we can yeah. succumb ourselves to, to the tools that we're engaged with. But, you know, in terms of like looking at this truth, you know, with like certainty and uncertainty. So for sure in the uncertainty realm, we can take it to contemplative levels of awakening, like radical uncertainty. And that can be regardless of one's own developmental level. Right. So that's, we should point that out. So we can uh, tap into that profound level of uncertainty that I can't pin down reality in any way. Okay. That's one level, but mm -hmm. within reality, I, my experience is that what, what we think of of certainty itself and uncertainty, both change and evolve. Both mm -hmm. of those evolve. Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like there's any end to it. So like, for example, a socialized mind of certainty, uncertainty will get processed in a certain way. There's limits to certainty and uncertainty. That's right. And it keeps on going. So I just, something you were saying there just made me want to point that out. It was like, we always have to be questioning ourselves because even if we feel attuned, like, oh yeah, you know, I engage in a practice of uncertainty, but there's always going to be some part where I really haven't in my lived life. I haven't really penetrated yet that degree of uncertainty there's still a container a, a, a boundary to which my uncertainty practice will not push past yet right like i will i'm not willing me you everybody listening we all have some sort of natural that's just life and, and we get to experience that opening up at some point too and that's amazing We're like oh wow you know or maybe maybe painful too but you know that's happening so Again, we're talking a lot about the how here because to me that's what's really important because if we argue about any particular conspiracy theory or particular truth, it's, we have to do that. It's our part of our life. So we can't not talk about these things that are going on in our society right now in the world, but we can get really lost. And for me, if I want to do anything, I want to point people to how. Like, how do I determine truth? How am I making sense of the world? How do I reach certainty or uncertainty? What is meant by evidence? See, right. like, what do we mean by evidence? What qualifies as evidence that right. evolves and changes? Yep. Right. So how do I define, what do I consider evidence to be? And, and a lot of times I think people would be like, well, duh, it's this. Evidence right. is this. Okay. That's your this. And that box may be a very big elaborate box. It's still a box. Yep. What we consider evidence. And then well, you got the interpretation it, after that. Totally. And we all have narratives. Let's just put it that way. But again, is, our, is my narrative more effective <laughs> right. in any moment of guiding me uh, to a response? Yeah, right. Corey. Yeah. So um, again, just a lot to, to pick up on there. Um, yeah. So, you know, Bina and I did a, 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 an amazing um, episode together with Suzanne Cook-Reuter. Um, I say together, but it was mostly just them being brilliant and me being like, <laughs> wow. <you know>? Um <laughs> And, you know, they were actually talking about sort of some of the responses to coronavirus along all these different altitudes. And when they were talking about some of the higher altitudes, I think some of the language from there is, is um, directly applicable to what we're talking about now. Because mm. the unfortunate thing is, as integralists, truth find, integral truth finding has not been role modeled very well for us, right? Mm. We have very clear role models for amber truth finding, which is it's a narrative truth that you mm -hmm. either believe in absolutely or not. Mm -hmm. There's orange standards of truth, which is the sense that there's an objective reality out there and we can come up with you know, peer reviewed consensus 
uh, sort of uh, interpretation of that objective yep. reality. Then at green postmodern, everything kind of slides and it gets relativized. And it's like, well, there's your truth and my truth. And these things are all culturally bound and uh, co-created and so forth, um, yeah. which sort of leaves us in that nihilistic kind of flat wasteland yes. where all right. of this is emerging. And this is, and that of course is, is sort of the zone where Facebook, I mean, that was the niche that Facebook was able yeah. to grow into this sort of, you know, Facebook really in a lot of ways and all these social media platforms paved the road to this post-truth world that we live, the mm -hmm. quote unquote post-truth world that we live in now. Um, because there is no accountability. There, there's, yeah. there's no truth to be found. There's just facts and factoids and little yeah. data points taken out of context that are cherry picked and shared amongst different groups of people with yeah. no, again, I'm a, I'm a fucking broken record on this, with yeah, yeah. no mechanism for real enfoldment Yes. To give us the opportunity to, to, to reconcile what seems like irreconcilable truths. Yeah. Yep. And when you say no accountability, see, this is the thing. So if there's accountability, there's accountability to something. There's account, something, someone, there's accountability. It's, there's some predetermination of what you can be held accountable for and how you can be accounted, uh, held to accountability. So that's where we're at. And, and what's interesting, I think like, you know, when you, I'm glad you listen, you kind of give the short version of those uh, developmental levels there. Values. And, and I haven't gotten to what Bino said yet. So I want to. Oh, well, no circle back around to it then. Well, yeah. So, I mean, basically the whole idea, you know, getting back to how it yeah. doesn't tell us what to believe, it tells us how to believe. I yeah. mean, some of the qualities of these, of these, you know, later stages of development are this capacity for some sort of transparency into your own biases, into your own conditioning, which I yeah, think yeah. speaks to what you're talking about. It's the ability uh -huh. for us to make subject into object some really deeply insidious subjects, mm -hmm. some subjects, you know, some, some yeah. narrative realities that we have had in place uh, ever since we were children, ever since we began forming memories. It can be really hard to dislodge that type of thing, but you know, integral consciousness, particularly construct aware consciousness, gives us the space of mind to do that. And I think one of the things that we notice is that when it comes to conspiracy theory, he, and here's where it gets a little bit tricky because there is sort of this, this righteousness that comes with conspiracy theory. There's this yeah, sense yeah. that like, I am routing out these collective shadows. Right. I am holding people to it. You know what I mean? There's sort of like yeah. a, a go me sort of, um, you know, like, like this is how I gain my social credit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, um, I push, I rage against the machine and, uh, and, and, and all of that, which is, which is totally fine. But I think the difficulty thing, you know, the difficulty there, the challenge there is that it's one thing to say that you're interested in sussing out collective shadows. It's yeah. another to be able to discern where my personal shadow ends and the collective shadow begins. So yep. for example, when it comes to conspiracy theory, I think we are all sort of as Americans participating in a particular cultural shadow of our Americanness. And yep. our Americanness is defined in so many ways by a hyper agency, yes. hyper individualism, right. uh, an, an innate distrust of authority. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? So th there's all these things that are sort of like wrapped into our national fabric, our national yeah. identity, right. that once we get to some of these later stages of consciousness, we get a little bit more separation from. We're able to yeah. sort of see how those patterns 
are, are sort of freely manifesting in our consciousness and how we tend mm -hmm. to unconsciously follow them wherever they happen to lead us. And it gives us just the opportunity to pause for a moment and to say, okay, am I actually looking at a shadow out there or am I projecting something you know, deep and dark yeah. within myself? And am I projecting my own cynicism? Am I projecting yeah. my own powerlessness, yeah. my own uncertainty, my own innate distrust of authority? You know, maybe I have a fucked up relationship with my father. And so yeah. therefore I'm just going to question everything the government, you know what I mean? I mean, not to get so sort of glibly right. Freudian with it, but no, yeah. there's, there's any number of, of sort of um, our own personal shadows that we might actually be casting out into this reality. Um, especially when it comes to these conspiracy theories that seem to evolve this like, you know, hmm. this global, it, it's global in scale and everyone's in on it except for, you know what I mean? You basically. And it's, it, it, it's almost, it's almost like the bigger the conspiracy theory, the less credibility it kind of has because it requires more people to like, yeah, basically not be human beings and, and not tell secrets and not leak and, you know, not fuck yes. up some way. There's, right. there's a, there's a meme going around that says, you know, to all the people who believe in all these um, big, massive global conspiracy theories, I don't think any of them have ever been a project leader before. Yeah, I know. I do think about that a lot too. It's like, it's like the objection here is not the, not the content or the, the possibility of XYZ conspiracy. It's just like the coordination of it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, I, I, even if it was a horrible conspiracy, like it did horrible harm and suffering, there'd be part of me that'd be like, I'm kind of impressed. Like, how did you coordinate that? Like, man, you probably don't need to do conspiracy. Just sell your method of, yeah. <laughs> of how you coordinate such an intense you know, the elaborate. That was my reaction to the whole Hillary Clinton thing when everyone was like, oh, she, you know, is literally dying of a brain disease from eating. I mean, I, it sounds like I'm making this shit up, but it's actually yeah. out there and it's actually in integral groups. Yeah. And that was my, my response to that was like, man, this sounds like one badass lady. If she's able to get away, you know, we need to elect gangsta grandma right now because she's <laughs> done. <laughs> right. No doubt. Yeah. Well, it goes back, you know, like what I was saying earlier about like, are we able to, are we able to essentially question ourselves not to deny a truth, but to actually verify it, you know, and find out, um, have some sort of criteria. And if we're not willing to do that and we have a big resistance to it, then, you know, can we be honest about that? I mean, there's these steps, but it's a capacity, you know what I mean? I think of Keegan's work, you know, self-authorship. It's like, well, that's a level where I feel like I can author my experience, but can I even question the authoring itself, mm. the mechanism by which I self-author? So I think there's probably a, a yeah, uh, developmental capacity there that we are, you know, he wrote that book in, I think it was the 90s, maybe, or early 2000s, where in, in over our heads, like, what are we, what are we asking of people? And at that one, you know, that level was, I think, asking a lot of people to be self-authoring. But right now, I think there's emerging, asking a lot of people to be more than that, and yeah. particularly in leadership roles and things like that. Like, that's not enough, too, because we have to question how does authoring happen in the first place? And that automatically points beyond self. Like, why, why am I, what am I a part of in a, in a much bigger way? What systems am I a part of? Which that's the other thing. It's like, I don't like just one person saying something isn't really convincing and, and five people parenting it. It's not really a collective. It's just five people saying the same thing, you know, but like if collectively we put our minds together and determine something like maybe the existence of aliens, right? Like, 
to me is way more plausible because I'm just like, okay, it's a lot of intelligent people looking at this thing that seem very sober and putting it all together from different perspectives leads to a much more interesting conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great example because that's my favorite conspiracy theory. And I think it's a great example because it's one of those conspiracy theories that if there's even like a grain of truth in there, yeah, it changes absolutely fucking everything, right? Everything gets called into question if, yeah. If, if, I mean, we can find a microbe on Mars and we're yeah. talking, we're, I mean, you know, the conversation we're having with like UFOs and aliens and shit like that, that's much bigger than finding a microbe on Mars. But even just finding a microbe on Mars is enough to change everything. So yeah. let alone finding an intelligent species out there and we're suddenly not alone in the universe. It changes our, you know, how we identify as human beings, how we yeah. identify as cosmic. Si- I mean, everything gets called into question. Religion gets called into question. Economics gets called uh, everything. Everything gets called into question. And yet, <laughs> if yep. I allow myself to fall down that rabbit hole and stay in that rabbit yep. hole, I cannot participate in society whatsoever in a day-to-day way. I, you know, it, it, can, yep. it removes me. So again, I have to be careful around certainty right. because yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a seduction that comes with it because the implications of this are so huge. And because there's some part of my brain back there that says, well, there must be something to this somewhere. Right. That, that basically I don't want to become a complete iconoclast incapable of, of, of holding any reality, never mind sort of this consensus reality that we're all kind of part of. So what I, what I choose to do is to say, you know, that's a rabbit hole. I'll revisit every once in a while. I love hearing like Stuart Davis talk about it or yeah. Sean Hargens. I mean, it's interesting. We've got some powerful integral minds asking the same questions, but I'm not going to wrap my identity around that. And that, that leads to, I think, this larger critique of, I have of how conspiracy theories are being held in the integral community. I had to make a rule in integral global that said no conspiracy theories, yeah. right? Just take that somewhere else because this just is not the place for that. Now, if those conspiracy theories were being presented in a different way, I might not have had to make those, that kind of rule. I mean, as it was, it was just kind of like these wake up sheeple types of posts, which yeah. is not, that's not having an integral conversation about this stuff. It's coming yeah. from a place of certainty, from, from narrative certainty. This is how the world really is. If you yeah. look behind the curtain and yeah. you guys are all idiots because you're not willing. Well, that's why I was talking about the meme earlier. Like I'm going to present the meme. You're all idiots, but I'm not including in the critiques or the uh the investigation that's right mine is unquestioned that's right and, and it's not an engaging conversation right <laughs> now if we can actually have a talk about conspiracy theories and about integral truth itself that looks at you know the four faces of truth the, the two most important being truth and truthfulness which is something that has totally fallen by the wayside that's i think what you're getting to earlier with yeah. there's no accountability or credibility people mm-hmm. are able to use illegitimate sources in order to reinforce their biases and their own sort of, you know, whatever pre-established worldview they already have. And so they're able to find, you know, they go to like UNS News or whatever it's called, or they go to any number of these sources that are highly, highly discredited, widely discredited. But that, that credibility kind of doesn't seem to make much of an, an impact in these conversations, which is why for me, um, and this is something I was talking about Jeff the other day, whenever I'm looking at any sources. So, you know, just to say off as an integralist trying to find truth, you can only do that if you're looking at 
a particular story from as many different angles as you can. That means looking at right. it from different biases, looking at it from different platforms, uh, seeing how different people, and then kind of constructing all that into your, your sense of truth because no one else is doing that work for us, yeah. you know, yeah. um, which, which can be, I think, tricky. And there's not a lot of, a lot of role models for that. Right. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. No, it's, I mean, I, I can think, pick up I think there. 5G just wiped my brainwaves clean <laughs> in the middle of my yeah. sentence. Well, see, I think that's the thing is it, two people can really present and talk about a particular conspiracy, like you can take aliens, right? And I can have a conversation with somebody like Stuart and feel really engaged by it, you know, but I don't think his identity is wrapped up in that, but he can speak very passionately about it. So it's not a, I don't, it's not a question about should you be, passionate or dispassionate that's not really about that you know it's about how you are looking and and to reality looking into truths and how you're sharing and engaging with it relationally and socially um and really i feel like some of the things we've been talking about if we embrace them it only makes our case stronger if it turns out to hold hold water you know mm -hmm. so like if the it's, it's not to cut it down. And I, I can appreciate that. Like, so if, if somebody brings up something and says, Hey, I think this crazy thing that nobody else is saying might be true. And we just go, shut up, Bob. Like I said earlier, that doesn't feel so good, but we're like, okay, well, what do you got? Like what's there? But if you're just like automatically going to say, well, you need to accept what I'm saying and not be part of a larger system of analysis, you know, mm -hmm. and of investigation, that's difficult. But I do think we're at a time where it's difficult. It's we're finding our way. I think that's the thing is, mm -hmm where I don't, I'm not certain. I'm like, I'm not certain how we do it. I feel much more in attuned with some certainty that we're going through some bigger developmental cultural shift where it's just, it's gotten us uh, quite a long ways, you know, for example, and uh, orange level rationalism has helped us out a ton. Um, the postmodern uh, relativization of, of truth, um, even within say science is mm -hmm. also really helpful for those things but like we're kind of stuck, we're spinning the wheels. And we see that with the examples you said there, you know, like for example, we can see Trump spin relative, uh, relativization of truth every single day, like like a ma magician. But is he coming from a postmodern degree of, of understanding or truth? Maybe, I don't know. I don't think no, so. Certainly I'm not, not. thinking so. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Hijacking that, the carrier wave. And we can see how that, yeah, that in, impacts things. So it's like if we're really... At some point, we're going to have to buck up and move forward. And only and moving forward, it means I'm going to have to do a lot of things you've been saying. I'm going to have to let go and be willing to be wrong, to discover things I didn't know. That's just going to happen. Or otherwise, other people are going to use the same exact tactics we're using to fuck with our life and to, sure. and to make life difficult. And we can just keep doing it, spinning our wheels, you know, but... That's why so much of this really does come down to credibility. And, and, I, and I finally found my train from earlier, which was, oh, yeah. uh, this is why whenever I'm investigating any source, just as a rudimentary sort of, you know, where in proximity to reality am I here? Yeah. Uh, I use sites like uh, Media Bias Fact Check, uh -huh. which is a great site. If people aren't using that, it's, it's, it really is sort of a true neutral kind of, kind of website. And what they do is they take a look at all these different sources, um, particularly the most popular sources, and they give it a rating on two scales. They give it a bias rating, right? How biased are they and in which direction? Yeah. And they have whole algorithms that are able to sort of pick this up. And then they have a, uh, how factual are they? Are they high factual or are they low factual? Yep. Now, 
I don't mind bias. This is what I was talking to Jeff about. I actually, I don't, I, I, I enjoy bias when it's transparent bias. You know what I mean? When I know that this is coming from a source with this kind yeah. of bias, okay, I can now read that through this filter and then I can read the same type of story through another bias, through another filter. As long as both of those sources are high factual, yeah. Right. And obviously the worst sources are going to be the ones that are high bias, low factual. Yeah. And unfortunately that is the bedrock of most of the conspiracy theories that we've seen emerge. They yeah. are mostly coming from high bias, low fact based sources of information that again are being cherry picked and constellated in this Rorschachian way in order to, so that you can see whatever you want to see when you look at just the, the, the chaos of data that's out there. Yep. Which tells yep. me, Ryan, one of the big problems we have is, you know, we often talk about the age of the internet as like we live in the information age. I don't think that's true. I think we did have an information age and it lasted for maybe like two or three years, like Wikipedia showed up in, yeah. in that era and it immediately slid into the attention age, which is mm -hmm. very, very different than information. Information conveys depth and span, whereas... Mm. The attention age, which all of our mainstream news sources are being forced into, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're mm -hmm. forced into the attention economy, which completely decimates depth. And all you're left with is span. That's yeah. why head headlines have gotten right. so clickbaity because they literally need to be. New York Times needs to compete with some of the worst sources out there. And so they have to find, you know, figure out where their line is, like how clickbaity yeah. can I make this headline while right. it's still being somewhat accurate. And, you know, everyone loses because of that. But that's not because of like some top down Machiavellian pressure coming from the CEO. That's, that's not coming from corruption as much as it's coming just from fucking capitalism. Right. Well, that's why I was saying earlier about like the different kinds of conspiracies we might find where it's like one, like a person or a group of people saying, yeah, let's do this thing or something like a system like capitalism, for example, and saying like, this is something we're all part of and we contribute to and influences us. It, it, it pushes outward on us too. And yeah, you could call that conspiracy, but it's not really the right word. If we're gonna be linguistically accurate, it's, it's just sort of like we bumping up against the limitations of, how, of a system that we've been using. And, and I agree, you know, like I, I, some of the common news sources I will check out, I will notice quite a lot, you know, in the last six months at times where they write articles, the way they present um, information. Sometimes I can feel the slanting of it, you know, mm -hmm. where it's not like over the top where it's like renders it unusable, but where um, I'm like, why are you doing that? It's like you're, you, you are making a choice here to, to push that, but it's not a conspiracy. I, I don't think as much. It's like, even though I don't like it, I'm like, yeah, it's probably capitalism, attention grabbing, you know, you you just keep eyeballs on the site. I get it. Um, or, hey, we don't want certain candidates to be in place because that hurts our bottom line. I I, mm -hmm. I get it, even though I don't like it, you know, right. but it's just, just like discerning that and saying like, okay, I understand it, I can validate it a little bit, but also I really want to change. And then the question is like, how do we change that? And I'm often sitting, scratching my head a little bit I'm like, gosh, I don't know. I have ideas about where we want to go, but how do we maneuver that? It's difficult. But that was one of the questions Jeff had for me is what comes after this? So if, you know, if we agree that social media is sort of this nihilistic flatland uh, within which all of this is sort of churning and happening, and it's, you know, that's, that's why we're not able to unfold this into anything approaching a genuine kind of you know, meta aware view of reality. 
Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and th- which is one of the ironies is that integral people are attracted to big picture views and are oftentimes substituting, I think, a genuine big picture view, which is just like, this is how power moves up and down the spiral. And like, yeah, you kind of have to pay attention. Um, but they sort of replace that with another big picture view, which is like, oh, well, there's three people who are, you know, uh, blackmailing people with pedophilia and, uh, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? It becomes yeah, this well, sort of oversimplification of a whole shit ton of complexity. Yeah. And that's just not the direction to go. Like, and again, it doesn't matter about the conclusion. It's just sort of like the oversimplification. That's not the direction of reality. You know, like, uh, when, in Ken's work pointing to like, it keeps getting more and more complex. That's just the nature of it. And we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. So for oversimplifying, regardless of whatever conclusion it is, it's probably not going to be accurate or useful. Yeah. So, and, you know, just oh, go ahead. Quick, I don't want yeah, just going back again uh, to notice, even this is a, I, we've already covered this, but like, if you say, Hey, uh, we present evidence towards an oversimplified conspiracy and they say, well, yeah, but do you know, what's behind that thing and why, and that you're not questioning. It's like, yeah, but are you doing the same thing to your own? Like, how's that happening? How is it subject again to the, to its own criticism? Mm. But you know, the meta, when you talk about um, a meta systemic sort of understanding of this, and we can use different words. I know there's a lot of words flying around like integral and then meta systemic, meta modern. I feel like there's a lot that's been emerging to help flesh all this out. Like Ken's work has been monumental and it's been a, I mean, he put it out there how many years ago, like way ahead of the curve to show, to give such a great, clear framework to have these conversations. And I think there's a lot more, a lot of people showing up now, providing a lot of in the trenches um, ways of dealing with this hands-on. Like even for me, I'm like investigating, even though I've been with Integral for a long time, like even one word recently that's used in meta-modernist context is oscillating. I really Mm -hmm. like that word where, looking at reality as nebulous and oscillating that there's patterns to it that we can engage with. That's a different way of orienting into it rather than like, do I have to choose between the polarities? Well, no, like reality is oscillating, you know, a little bit. And how does that, if I relate to reality that way, how does that change my response? Mm -hmm. This is something I'm like asking. Mm -hmm. It's like, what does that mean? But that word stuck out to me. I'm like, there's something there for me, you know, to look at in investigating truth feels like that oscillation is sort of important to, you know, the, the sort of innate ability of the integral mind to integrate polarities wherever we find them. Yeah. One of the ways we integrate polarities is to oscillate between them until we can find sort of how they, how they fold together. And we go to the dance because yeah, yeah. If you look back, I mean, we go to orange rationalism. There's a, there's a sense that there's less of an oscillating, but versus like a static known that I either know or haven't yet discovered, you know, there's a, there is something very static about, orange uh, rationalism postmodernism says nope you know like it's relative but it's like almost leans so far that it loses any ability to gain traction right it just continually breaks down but the sense of oscillating is pointing i think to something that tries to integrate those two right a little bit in in terms of an embodied response but again like i I said i'm pulling out these questions as something to consider like real, like for myself, for you, for everybody, like we sit in this together, like how are we going to reorient here? Like in a tangible response. Yeah. And I think what you were just talking about really gets into what Ken calls the myth of given. I mean, the myth of the given is sort of um, at the heart of all this because it's this idea that every stage participates with in different ways until you get to integral. It's this idea that there is a really real objective reality out there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's really, really real. Yeah. 
It doesn't matter how you interpret it. doesn't matter how you enact it. doesn't matter where you are developmentally. There's a reality out there. And if you don't acknowledge it, you're just going to get smeared like a bug on the windshield, right? Yeah. Um, Ken says, well, hang on a second. The, what the myth of the given tells us is that there is a distinct reality for every, for every observer, basically. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, someone at Amber who's observing the world observes one reality. And it is a really real reality insofar mm-hmm. as that stage is concerned. Mm-hmm. Orange also preserve, per- perceives a really real reality. Orange, for example, is really, really good at objectively pinning down sensory motor reality, mm-hmm. right? No, the, in 30 years, the moon, this moon of Jupiter is going to be in this particular place. And we have plenty of... Yeah data and evidence to show why we can make right. that prediction yeah, and that prediction right. will come true and da, da, da. there's an objective yep. reality in that sense. Well, okay, but that's an objective sensory motor reality. And yeah. that's a little bit different than what Ken often says, can you predict where my dog is going to be in 30 minutes? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and then obviously we get into green, which sort of has, you know, everything that we've already talked about. Uh, and then with integral, it's, it really is this observation that there are different realities that correspond to all of these different levels of development. And guess what? That doesn't end. That yeah. keeps on going because yep. growth and development keep on going. There's yes. no known ceiling uh, for our own growth and development other right. than just sort of a few stages beyond where most other people are. Yeah. Um, but in 500 years and a thousand years, I mean, that, that's just going to keep on cascading forward, which means new realities are going to constantly pop into being. Right? Yes. Now I say all that not to make reality sound more nebulous or more like nothing is real because sort of the irony here is that reality gets more real with each stage. We get higher resolution. We're, we're able to get um, uh, closer pictures and, and more finely detailed kind of interpretations of this particular level of reality that we're participating with at the time. And guess what? It includes most of the things that came, at least structurally, doesn't include the views, but includes the rungs that came previously. Mm -hmm. All of that gets folded into this more integrated understanding um, of truth. And no, you're not going to get that from Anderson Cooper or Alex Jones. You kind of have to do some of that heavy lifting yourself. Um, But I'm hoping at the end of the day, you can make some sort of basic discernment between Anderson Cooper and Alex Jones, both partial, sure, but one maybe a lot more partial than the other. And then you're able to fold them in accordingly. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Yeah. Well, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, Because Jeff asked me and I didn't have an answer. Yeah. His question was, what comes after all this? What, what is... So if social media is the platform that is collapsing perspectivality into yeah. this aperspectival sprawl that we currently live in, what comes next? Assuming this is, as Rob Smith says, assuming this problem we have right now is creating all the right challenges, all the right yeah. questions yeah. for something new to emerge, yeah. um, what do you think that new thing looks like? Well, so I, I'm, I agree with Rob on that. I think that's maybe the upside to the everything that's been happening. I mean, now in recent years too, is like it, it's propelling us towards transformation, you know, and towards, um, again, to use those different words, integral metasystemic kind of embodied 
living and again this is going to happen in different rungs this is like i like you mentioned earlier i don't think we have all these layers to society so there's going to be mythical group membership mm-hmm. that's not going away but mm-hmm. can we create um systems in a society where that can be held in a healthy way but also with limits set um guardrails so guardrails yeah so it's like we got to figure that out and the we've seen that like it's we can I think a lot of us feel like somehow we've taken steps back, right? Like that's how we've felt in the recent, you know, last three years. It's like, whoa, we've gone backwards. Like how did that happen? So we've shown that like we've, we've done those kinds of things before. There were like guardrails in place, but it seems like a lot of these things have gotten broken down. But I think that's to make way for even larger systems to emerge after that. I do think, you know, something like, you know, a Green New Deal is going to be way more possible in upcoming years because that kind of thing what's being proposed in there whether it's um whether everybody agrees with everything in it or all the forms it's just like it's pointing to a revamp of our systems i don't see any way around that the current systems we have get a serious revamp like some new shit merging on the level of like what happened with the new deal Mm -hmm. like it hasn't happened in a while so i think there's going to be some new things emerging there and i think distributed systems is a big deal i think like because it's a it's somewhere between uh you know centralized and decentralized which you can also tie to like eternalism and nihilism you know kind of thing it's like we need and talking about the word oscillating there it's like Mm -hmm. distributed has a sense of like power being concentrated where it's needed and when it's needed um but not collapsed to where conspiracy theories for example can run as rampant because it's less possible just like for people who like cryptocurrency and bitcoin like the idea that nobody can hijack the system like that kind of principle in there and i'm not saying mm-hmm. bitcoin system is exactly <laughs> what will be emerging with the green new deal but yeah i think we're working our shit out though i don't well and of course the crypto culture is um oftentimes obsessed with conspiracy theory i mean no, that's, i think that's well, the reason why I, the reason why i asterisk that is because it does one thing in terms of distribute it's decentralization really more Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, sometimes I guess those words can be synonymous, but there's one part that's right about it, but then there's other parts where it's just like, don't tell me what to do. Like there's a, there's there is a like fuck off nihilism kind of in there where it doesn't really acknowledge the complexity of the human existence and that we are all interconnected and you can't just be over here and opt in. We're all opted in (laughs) to reality, you know? So, yeah. 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 And it's, and my, my response to Jeff is, um, you know, I don't know what that next platform looks like. I have the sense that it's going to be, um, somewhat more embodied kind of like, you know, zoom has becomes a, a new platform, uh, that really hit its tipping point because of the pandemic. And I think yeah. that, that is actually showing people that there is, um, a higher resolution way for us to convene together, mm-hmm. for us to relate together and for us to create shared reality together. Which again is, I mean, that, that is, it's almost like the function of Facebook is to demolish shared reality because its algorithms are themselves created to incentivize division and conflict and argument. And, and you know, I mean, they have these algorithms that I'm sure in the Facebook offices, they see these are truly neutral algorithms. We're just looking, we're going to just float up, you know, the posts that are getting the most heat mm-hmm. Wherever that heat is coming from, there's just the, you know, the, the, 
the the threads with the most comments are going to be the ones that are are we're going to publicize more often into people's timelines and of course the threads that have the most comments are the ones where people are sniping at each other and arguing yeah this is what i mean by like this i mean first of all facebook is a centralized organization so we start That's, that yeah. so and then this idea of neutrality of decentralization is not really accurate because they have the control of it and I say all this, I'm a participant. I use Facebook. So, you know, I think we should, we think we should all acknowledge that before we get too uppity about things. But uh, yeah. And then, but even if you say the neutrality, we find out that it's, it's not neutral because then when shit happens and you find out the system is able to be gamed or it, it has a certain impact that plays out in a certain pattern way as it has, where like Facebook's data was leaked or manipulated and used for political gains they have to be put in a position to say well what do we do about it and different companies have done different things but a lot of us are calling bullshit on that it's like oh okay you thought you created just some neutral thing of of a social media channel where if somebody likes it that means it's good you know and it's like no and so a lot of people don't like mark zuckerberg uh you know his uh response to facebook where he's taken a i can't remember what was something recently where it just sounded like a bunch of horseshit to me like he's oh, just, it's, like, it's like an option for him to like opt out when he's not opted out again. It's like, right. no, you're part of reality and the system you created has an impact. And I'm not saying how we should do it. It's complicated. Like when I look at YouTube, I've been seeing a lot of videos, you know, get taken down. And some of them, I think, I don't really care. That sounds like a bullshit video. So like, I'm not, I'm okay with it not being spread and, and YouTube cracking down on it. But I see other things like on Medium. I've saw a few friends or uh, Keith wrote an article. Yep. And it was totally fine written. I mean, it was like written in a very, uh, had a lot of integrity. He had certain perspectives in there, but it was fine. Like it was journalistic standards, but it got taken down because they're going pretty hard over a medium of like, if it veers from anything pretty neutral around COVID, um, people get taken down. So it's complex. You know, I don't know what to say about that, but. It really is. And and, and I think you just show two sort of extremes. Yeah. Um, which points to a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of scenario where, right. you know, Zuckerberg gets criticized because he's sort of taken a, you know, laissez-faire kind of uh, yeah. what happens on his platform um, and gets a lot of criticism because it's like you're allowing people to share just like, you know, to pay you to share political ads that are just full of falsehoods, just yeah. lies. I mean, just, you know, I mean, provable lies. It's yeah. just a propaganda piece that you're allowing, that you are capitalizing on, directly capitalizing on. Yeah. You, you're forcing us to give you money just to get our And Facebook out. system is not like a natural occurring system in the world. It's yeah, like that's you right. all create it. Yeah, <laughs> Every it. day you make updates to the system. Yep. YouTube, on the other hand, takes the other approach and says, well, no, we are not going to allow anything and everything on our platform. We're going to try to take some due diligence here and, and get rid of, uh, you know, information that is deleterious and can actually uh, inflict suffering on people. So there's yeah. a, 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 a sort of community rules that we all have to abide by if we're going to post on, on YouTube. And sometimes they're able to interpret their own rules in fairly draconian ways to say this. this yeah. And I don't know what the answer is that too, because you could say like, well, maybe there's a social way to correct that. But then you could say, well, gosh, there's enough people in the world to trip some sort of mark of like, well, if a, if a thousand people say the video is actually okay, then it'll be back online. You know, it's right. like, you, you, that doesn't sound sensible either. I saw one. Yeah, go ahead. These are the antibodies I think we're looking for now. We're looking to find a way to counter. You know, there's a propaganda model out there. It's well known. It originated in Russia, uh, has been perfected in Russia, and it's been recently imported here to the States, which is called the fire hose of falsehoods. 
right? Mm -hmm. And this is a tricky, tricky question. It shows up in integral community. So when, when I made the decision to ban um, just stupid- Yeah, I'm glad to see you do it too. From integral global, when I made that decision, one of the responses was, well, integralists should be able to talk about anything and everything. So therefore, nothing should be off limits. Everything should be fair game. And I say, okay, like from an idealistic point of view, I sort of agree from a pragmatic point of view. I don't because if you let that stuff just go unchecked, then you get loud minorities of people who are pushing everyone else away. And well, see, that's, that's the difference of like when I was talking about our good friend, Bob, mythical Bob over here. Like if you're in the neighborhood, you could go around and say, hey, anybody want to talk about this? And a few of them say, yeah, I like what Bob's got to say. You can get, get together, talk about it. That is a right and, and, and sure, but like you don't have the same power, like the power to like access everybody and anybody you want isn't inherent. It isn't granted, you right. know, uh, in the sense that like, well, no, we can say we don't want to hear from you. We yep. don't want to hear that. Yeah. And there's and something about it. And there's something about it we can identify of like, well, it's not just, it's not because it's a conspiracy that we don't want to hear. It's because of other factors, which we've unpacked a lot in this episode. There's some discernment there of, how do we discern of what conversations we want to have and we don't want to have given where our time and energy is limited? Yeah. There's, it has to be a prioritization, you know? Yeah. No way around. Yeah. Well, and that's tricky. Cause you know, I used to believe um, sort of in the old media model, which gets back to what you were saying earlier about how, you know, sometimes you just get like a small group of people who start to believe crazy things. Those crazy things just aren't acknowledged in, you know, what used to be sort of consensus media. Back yeah. Then. And so it would just, you know, it would kind of, Go away on its own. Yeah. Um, now I think the rules have maybe changed a little bit. And I think that this old idea that you are legitimizing an idea by giving it a platform, by giving it a debate platform, I yeah. feel like that idea maybe has become passe. Mm. I feel like now mm. in yeah. the midst of this fire hose of falsehoods culture that we live in, um, where we're just being blasted with propaganda, I think maybe it's time for us to revisit that notion that we shouldn't be platforming these ideas. Maybe we should be platforming these ideas. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we should be asking scientists uh, to do what they would previously see as wasting their time by addressing yeah. this stuff, by mm -hmm. really addressing this stuff. I want to see global experts debunking pandemic. I want to see policy experts debunking Obamagate. I want, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? A pizza game, mm -hmm. QAnon. The problem is, is that we allow these things. We're still participating with this old media idea that like, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Guess what guys? It's not going away. In fact, it's becoming increasingly disruptive because there's no one putting a check on that bad information, on that propaganda. There's no one saying, okay, we're going to look at these claims one by one and we're going to debunk them. So what I say to the individual yeah. audience is you have to do that work yourself. You have to falsify everything. Falsify the things you don't believe in because it'll make you a better debater. It'll make you a much better debater. You'll sharpen your own sort of perspectives and falsify the things that you do. Try to falsify the things that you take for granted, the, all the assumptions that you have. Listen yeah. to a conspiracy theory, right? And say, well, I reject that sort of at first, but what is, if there's a grain of truth in there, what might it be? And how can I fold that into mm -hmm. my own sort of mm -hmm. political compass? You know, it's interesting though. Um, and I agree, like, I mean, we have to figure out how to go forward and like uh, bring what's good 
you know, from what has unfolded in the past. Um, we don't want to just go backwards. So like, you know, we should, you know, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook has empowered people uh, whose voices might have gone unheard to be heard. But, you know, there is, again, because we're part of these weird systems that we don't have control over. I think that's the trick there is that like you and I don't have control over Facebook or YouTube. Like we're not the people holding the strings. And what happens is I do think there's some sort of perception that happens. So like a false perception that like a perspective that has 5% of people interested in it can look like it's 30% of people really easily. So counterpoint there is that like, that needs to be controlled. I've been, I've been happy about that in recent years of seeing like, I'm fine with whatever voices are out there that are out there. I'm fine with them being known, but in the proportion that they are. Mm. So if we look at national polls and if we look at multiple polls, not just your favorite poll from your favorite <laughs> place, we can see certain things that w- a lot of polls show that we're, we're less divisive than on certain issues than, um, then social media might lead us to believe sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all these complex pieces of, and I, again, I don't know how to do it because uh, it's like on one hand, I want that to be taken into account, but also like what you said, it's like, well, we got to do the work of actually addressing what comes up and not just try to ignore it and pretend it's going to go away. I think too, there's that sometimes what people are arguing about is not really what's actually been important to them. I think there are other deeper needs that have validated and taken care of. They would probably drop other bits like if people don't get some core needs met they can latch on to other shit and and pump Mm -hmm. it up big time and you're like arguing about something that neither nobody actually cares about (laughs) it's just burning energy and that goes to me to our systems like i really do feel like if we get a lot of our systems fixed and evolved we'll see things cool a little bit people are going to be like you know if people have decent jobs dignified life and healthcare, like just find out what happens if people have genuinely dignified lives and, and people aren't struggling and living in fear, maybe they're, they're probably going to do some other, something else with their time. It's like, you know, maybe I'll go do something happy with my life because I'm happy. But if you're you know, fucking hurting I, and pissed. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think the limitation of what you're saying is I think what you're saying is true hmm. for people whose centers of gravity are orange and up. I also think that there is kind of permanently going to be a mythic majority who, um, you know, on both sides, again, this isn't necessary. It's not like all the mythic people are on, are in one party and, you know, um, but we also know that by and large, the Republicans probably have the, the, the lion's share of, of amber individuals who Mm -hmm. um, filter reality through that lens. And that the, the larger point we're trying to make here is that's okay right? There's nothing wrong with having an amber view, even having an amber mythology, even having an amber sort of mythalization of all of these conspiracy theories in order to form, you know, your political views and all that is sort of ordinary and it's par for the course. It's sort of a a natural feature of that territory to a certain extent, Um, particularly when we start getting hot button items like abortion, pedophilia, I mean, you know, you want to you want to crank any conspiracy theory up to eleven. Just use the word pedophilia, yeah, because all that does is it bypasses 
people's, you know, for, you know, frontal brain and gets right into the amygdala. And then you just, you know, well, Jesus, anything for the children, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. it creates this emotionality that obscures rationality, um, yeah. which is why, you know, particularly anytime you see a conspiracy theory about something like pedophilia, really, really double down on getting good evidence because it's not like pedophilia doesn't exist. Of course mm, it does. Sure. Yeah. It exists in powerful circles. That doesn't mean there is a single global conspiracy, uh, you know, just all that stuff kind of yeah. starts to turn into this comic book, well, you know, mustache twirling. It's interesting too, just a random thought came up for me about like global conspiracies. I think that's like more emerging, right? Like more, more conspiracies are on a, on a larger scale. Would you agree? Like the, there's mm-hmm. a lot more of those now. Climate that, like, change. The, yeah. The conspiracy isn't about like just in a state, right. And even really not within one country, it's usually like global. And I think what that can point to is like, if we really get creative here is that the, there is a need. This is what else I would say, like what's next. We have to have something, some sort of collaboration of a, a new depth and degree throughout the world like the idea you know so like i was talking with uh, our good friend vince horn the other day about this and um you know like the united nations represents something like that right of mm-hmm. like a way to organize and collaborate as a planet mm-hmm. but it's kind of like pseudo it's sort of like if you want to listen to the un right but it's like uh optional you know kind of thing but we don't really have that like for the united states we have a structure as a country to uh, operationalize and act as a unit internal to our country. We don't really have that as, as a planet and we're living in a time where that's impossible. We like the, the limits of, of only dealing with in our own borders and having an optional light international uh, connections like we've had before, just, I don't think it's going to work anymore. It's not an ideal. I just like, I think we have to have newer ways of collaborating um, throughout the world through uh, countries and not just like, um, you know, having secretaries of uh, of each country meeting and having negotiations. It just doesn't work. Right. And, but I wonder, you know, it's like if there's global conspiracies, I would say on the positive side, there's got to be thoughts about how do we operate globally? And maybe that's pointing to that. Like, even if those global conspiracies aren't there, maybe it points to something of a shadow in us that we need to address something globally. You know? 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Oh, t- told. I, I, this is such an important point, I think. And, and, and largely because a lot of what's being called into question right now is the efforts towards globalization that we've seen over the last 40 years, the neoliberal globalization, which is largely economic based, right? And yeah. it has actually, what it has culminated into is this massive disparity of wealth. Yeah, it didn't really do the job. This is, well, it, it did both, right? So like, like a few people got way, 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 way richer um, and, and therefore, you know, are able to exert more power and more control, um, are able to enact more conspiracies basically in yep. order to maintain and to grow yes. their power and control. Yes. So that is, that's, that's just naturally something that happens when we have such a, an inequitable distribution of resources. And we can say that because of neoliberal globalization, uh, there is less starvation in the world there you know there is more uh there are more sewage systems in the world i mean there there are well roots of this yeah yeah globalization but it seems clear that we are being forced to kind of press the reset button 
and to try a new approach on globalization. Yeah. And so Jeremy Rifkin, and I mentioned him before, but you can see the video, there's like an hour long talk on the third industrial revolution. And he makes that clear point that for about half the world is in it's incredibly better than it was, I don't know, like a hundred years ago, but for the other half of the world, they are objectively worse than they were a hundred years ago. So that's really important to point out when we say, well, it worked and it didn't work. It's like, yeah, but in a very, it's not even like that 50, 50 mark was like pretty striking to me because we know that we have the, the like 1% kind of thing of the wealth concentration, but this doesn't, that doesn't really capture the differences like that. Certain countries have just gotten worse, not even better. Uh, and um, and I think Ken makes a point in some of his work about like the attempts at at creating something that really does un- uh, express and unite a global planet centric consciousness and co- and cooperation collaboration you know and that like yeah that was an attempt at it but that in in a, again for in the countries at the right time like United States it kicked ass like you know in the fifties for example mm-hmm. you know like it meant everybody got jobs, everybody got houses, everybody got to have families and things like that. But for other countries, it didn't mean that. And clearly because of things evolved in the information age, uh, how it worked in the fifties in the United States is not how it works now. Okay. So yeah. The, so I guess I was, yeah, given some appreciation where it's like, I may think a lot of global conspiracies are, you know, oversimplified and lazy potentially, but uh, it may be also pointing to something deeper, you know, yep. Yeah, and I think one of those deeper things it's pointing to is, in fact, like, yeah, conspiracies happen because there are people with an inordinate amount of power. Yeah. And they do everything they can to maintain the power, which is, by the way, I think why, because you were talking about earlier, you know, sort of uh, the life conditions we find ourselves in are going to naturally force us to self-organize in a new way to come up with a new set of systems that are going to address, and and we're going to have, we're being forced into that. We never proactively change society for the better. We're always, it's always, you know what I mean? It's always um, responsive to some major crisis or challenge or trauma or what have you. And that's the only way we seem to move forward. And this is no different. However, I agree with you. Those pressures are real and that the people who currently have control, who are, you know, sort of the status quo of today's world are doing everything they can to prevent that from happening because they are directly threatened by that. There is a handful of people who own half the world's resources and they are terrified of the idea of having to distribute those resources more equitably. And so we're seeing just this disinformation mill firing up again right now, just launching conspiracy theory after conspiracy, the bogus, just stupid, the stupidest shit you could possibly believe because all they need is for enough people to peel enough people out of consensus reality to be able to get away with what they're getting away with. That's my conspiracy theory. No, I I think that's pretty, I I would agree with that. Yep. It's going to be a, probably a tough battle for it. I mean, I have uh, optimism that we are going to evolve and, and transform. Um, but yeah, it's a question because like, I think about the wealth concentration where I'm like, I don't see that going any way, but difficult because the, the, we have to distribute. It's just functional. Like even from like uh, hardcore economists who are really looking at things, not from even like idealistic way, you know, just being like, if we want the economy to function, like this shit is beat. Like it's not going to, it's, it's a, uh, it's a delusion to think that in 
20 years, the economy is going to keep getting better based on the same model right. of capitalism. It's just not. Um, and that redistribution is going to have to happen, but um, it's going to be probably a nasty <laughs> fight. Yeah. And Well, another example of that is, is the increasing pressure we're seeing around climate change. Which yeah, well, that's the other reason for like why we have to have a global thing because you can't have like one country saying we don't want to do it and another country is like, no, fuck you. We don't care. Yeah. It's like that's just at some point it's going to be intolerable and like collectively at some point we're going to decide like, nope, we're going to have to do something different, which means not going towards, uh, you know, like tribalism or patriotism, you know, and closing borders and things like that. That's like trying to go like this towards the problem. It's like, no, nope, borders are already become fluid whether literally or metaphorically. <laughs> right. But you can see the challenge of that. So the I, only, no, I know. The only yeah. way to deal with climate change is to move towards something like a one world government. I hate to use those words, but that's you know what I mean? It's 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 uh we need a we need a regulator on the level of the global holon because we already have an economic holon at that yeah. level that is unregulated and that's what's causing so I think many that's a good problems. point to say that we have that there's already a global order of capitalism in place and a global order of leadership does not have to be the same models we've seen before so I would say that probably in order for that to even work it's going to have to be a new form that we can't fully imagine and see right now yeah. so it doesn't have to be like what we see represented in uh, sci-fi like there's the world order and they're all in nice iron gray sleet shirts meeting uh, like a like what we see at the un i don't know that's going to be what it's going like but we have to have something and it's going to emerge you know? i'm still trying to figure out if we're living in orwell's world right now or huxley's world and it honestly yeah. seems like a little of column a and a little of column b yeah definitely we're, we're definitely in the uh the tough part and with possibly more to come of tough, but I'm it's hoping. It's funny that like all of 20th century science fiction was supposed to be preparing us for so much of this. I know. <laughs> you know, we're going to, we need, we need the new sci-fi uh, stuff to be written now that yeah, will help really, us. <laughs> the problem is Dude, now is it's so hard to write science fiction. Cause it's like, you need like a, a doctorate level understanding. Yeah. Yeah. People demand so uh, accuracy. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Yep. Whereas, you know, I, I, I like lament not being alive in like the 1930s and 1940s when science fiction was so easy to write. It was like, we just put a bunch of like nuclear detonators in the bottom of our rocket and we just brute forced our way yeah, to yeah, 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 totally. on 50 foot tall women. And there was, yeah. there was no need yeah. for it. You know what I mean? It was wide open. It was totally wide open. You could do like, people on the radio. Oh, I wish I could be one of those pulp science fiction <laughs> writers back then. I know. Do we... Well, is there anything to respond to? Uh, yeah, or... so let's open this up. We got a few, uh, someone named uh, Nitin. Uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Please forgive me if I'm not. Uh, posted a few things. Um, anyone else is watching us, we can see comments on YouTube right now. We can see comments uh, here in Zoom. So if you have anything to say, please oh, join yeah. the conversation. Uh, I can just read uh, Nitin's comments. Uh, there's three Q&A questions. Yeah, the Q&A. How about I just read them all and then- okay. uh, is it common to feel that you, your views, are getting transparent uh, as if passing through each other, almost like those big bubbles in such a state of openness? A bit of context comes handy where to find it. The orientation, knowing that we are only uh, one piece that holds limited space, but infinite awareness in all direction. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's why I like feel like, you know, it's difficult all the all the things we're talking about like in to do this in an embodied way so like 
some of like I think that comment points to like in some ways spiritually or through awakening of like seeing the ephemeral nature of reality and being attuned to that um, the nebulosity for sure and also that could apply to like we said about truth and context and seeing through that but that I think we were also pointing to like also be careful to get carried away in that for me so that's why I'm looking at it's like I don't want to be lost in the nebulosity and and in those big bubbles. Um, and that partly can be done. I mean, for me, it's like an embodied, it's like, I still have feet. I still have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I still have to eat. So like reality still demands action and an enactment and foldment and going forward. So this is definitely a both and, you know, kind of situation. Episode one, what did we say? Uh, at first the mountain is a mountain yeah, and the mountain is no longer a mountain, Yeah, but then the mountain is a mountain again. And I think mm-hmm. what we're talking about, the conversation we're trying to have right now is that sort of third stage yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you've, you've, you've found your state release, right? That's great. That's, it gives you this sense of presence and equanimity and um, you know, the capacity to witness whatever happens to be presenting itself to you. And it's time to return to the marketplace. It's time to re-engage. Mm-hmm. It's time to um, exert our influence however we can in order to help shape this relative world uh, to be more sort of aligned with the beauty and the mm. abundance and the just mm. radical sort of okayness that comes with the absolute world. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's how we create heaven and earth piece by piece, brick by brick, moment by moment. Um, you know, hope, hoping to uh, leave the world a little bit brighter they, for the next generation. They say, I mean, once you're back in the marketplace, what makes you choose? Yeah. I mean, these are deep, like, good questions and deep questions, but I don't know that there's an exact answer. I mean, we could all respond to this individually, but I think it's going to be different, you know, depending on uh, one's life experience, dispositions, and, but also the developmentally, you know, what do we notice and see in the world? How open are we? So for me, it's, that's, I always use the word response. So how present I am to what's going on. And then with all the limitations we talked about earlier about like, what do I consider certainty and uncertainty? What do I, what, how do I see reality? Right. What, how do I consider it? And then that's going to, um, yeah, that's going to influence choosing. So, um, it's a question that we often get whenever we have one of these, um, discussions, uh, that, that ends up making people feel a little bit powerless. It's, it's one of the challenges, for example, talking about climate change, because there's a lot to talk about and so little for us to do individually. And all of us want to walk away um, from these discussions with a way to sort of holster that anxiety. Like I need a single action I can do, a single injunction that can help me um, feel better about this problem that we're in. I, I need a button I can press. Hmm. The sad thing is there's no button. There's no I like, button. Um, yeah, that's right. So a lot of these would go start pointing to me towards practices, for example, that you can integrate to explore questions. So um I don't know, like turn this question into something like, what shall I choose, you know, and do it in inquiry. And what inquiry is really powerful to just sit, you know, get settled and present in, you know, inhabit your body and then just ask the question, what shall I choose? And you see what arises and you keep asking, what shall I choose? So you can take a question and even the anxiety and uncertainty that goes with it and put it into inquiry. And then it, you can see it changing the response that arises, you know, and, and, for me will change throughout that practice. There's a lot of things that can be done here to, to work and meet kind of the crossroads between 
the opening and then the anxiety about like, well, I don't have an answer, you know, what should I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Nitin, I don't know if we're um, speaking directly to your questions. Um, if not, you can press. It's a big one. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and it's hard to sort of do this through text. So if you want to um, have some real time back and forth with us to sort of clarify some of your questions, uh, you can hit the raise my hand button. We'll turn on your audio and video if you have it and we can do it that way. Um, otherwise, you know, you made another comment, uh, after all the shadow work, how can you choose? Um, all I can say is that, you know, there is no after the shadow work shadow work is, you know, I mean, there might be a point where you have, uh, where you feel like you have successfully dealt with all the shadows that you know about, but guess what? Kind of the nature of shadows is there's a whole lot more that you don't know about. Um, and getting to those can be uh, a little bit trickier, can take a little bit more time, can certainly take a lot more um, vulnerability and introspection um, and patience and kindness with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like noticing another, there was somebody made a comment on the in- integral live chat box. Yeah, what did yeah. they say? Uh, there may be a reality to climate change, but in the society, the idea seems to be framed in terms of social pressure. There has been limited success in that regard, but this coronavirus may have changed the game. If people are willing to police each other uh, that much more, we might see the same tyranny in relation to climate measures. Interesting words in there to interpret. Um, I do agree with uh, that coronavirus could change the game about how we approach things, but I think to actually in a much more like cut through bullshit way, you know, and get more embodied about like the reality. Whereas like with climate change, I think it's so easy to get abstract and because sometimes someone it feels that. It's someone yeah, and, it, and it can feel abstract because like sometimes it's just, it's less immediate than coronavirus. You know, if you get coronavirus, it's pretty immediate, you know, it's going to be days or weeks, you know, before it hits. So I'm hoping that actually, I think maybe that will change the conversation um, a little bit and how we approach climate change after this. Yeah, I'm hoping if anything, it just gives us a little bit more inlet into having more robust conversations about our global togetherness. Yeah, there's no way. That's why I think you're right. About, like, there's no way of talking about coronavirus, but to talk about it globally, I mean, that's what we can see. It's like, there's just, this isn't limited to one place. Right. And so climate change the same way. And, and as you've been talking about the economy and capitalism, it's like, that's all of us. There's just no way around getting all of us, not just us. <laughs> yeah. And one of the big differences between Corona and climate change, we were talking about this with um, Diane and Gal Hochachka and Gabe Wilson a couple of weeks ago. Um, but one of the things we're talking about is with climate change. Again, it is, it really, it's someone else's problem because there's no, there's no button I can press. Right? Yeah. It's that problem. There's nothing I can do right now. I can recycle, but Jesus, how much of a dent am I actually making by doing that? Um, this has to be a systemic top down kind of solution. Whereas with Corona, we're st- we are, we still do need that top down, right? We need some real expertise up there. Yeah. We need more testing. We need more manufacturing of tests. We need, you know, our smartest minds to be on this and sort of enforcing safety precautions from the top down. But from the bottom up, the difference between this and climate change is there is something I can do. There is a button I can press. I can wipe down all my groceries with Lysol before coming. I can choose to not leave my house. There is something I can do, a behavioral thing I can do right now that's going to make my family safer. And that's simply not true with something like climate change. Um, Again, maybe one can give us a little bit more leverage with the other, but it's going to be really hard to find that leverage 
in this nihilistic space that we find ourselves in where people just have this natural antibody to expertise, to authority, to uh, global anything at this point. Um, I was just thinking part of what I think we're going to have to get over. So, you know, we were talking about how some lower developmental levels can hijack, you know, um, relativizing of truth, right? Even though it's not the same, but I think the same is true of like the door that opens with, with like some egocentric use of that can also allow people like in a postmodern green level to uh, act egocentrically and get away with things that way. And I think what I see a lot around this coronavirus is that again, but a caveat here, I'm not going to say what should or shouldn't be done when I make this comment. But the fact is, is that when we're talking about a collectively responding, some people are going to, have to do stuff that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be tough shit. And if you, if you say, well, I don't like that. Well, then it's like, well, then everybody will, will suffer. Like you're not going to get, you're going to sacrifice certain things. Everybody will. Like sometimes it's going to work out for you to be egocentric, but then sometimes it's not going to, you're going to, we're just going to miss out on a bunch. And I think see that coming up across so many different domains from different people that, um, that feeling of like, don't tell me what to do. And it can be coming from trauma, but like we are, we're going to have to give ourselves over to bigger problems. There's no way around that. Yeah. You know, but I think I see it triggering stuff, you know, potential trauma of, of, you know, power, loss of power and things like that. I'm like, there's no way around it. And I think you are, you're speaking to an American collective shadow right now. I mean, I do very much see this um, yeah. resistance to collective action. No, I agree. Yeah. Because uh, there's been good articles and friends uh, who've been in some of the European countries, especially Eastern European, where they're like just handling it like a boss because one, they've, some other cultures besides ours have really dealt with serious loss of life and, um, you know, catastrophes and tragedies. Um, It's been a while for us. I mean, we had 9-11, but that was like this weird isolated thing that wasn't really the whole country, but it's been quite a while, you know? Yeah, uh, for us, we've, whereas we haven't been properly to, rattled since like Vietnam, maybe you know, like Croatia, right? And you go over there in Croatia, and uh, the the civil war that happened over in that whole area was in the, I think it was the eighties, right? Yep. Like where people die, and there's like I saw a video where there's still millions of landmines around all the borders over there. They're like it's going to take forever to get rid of. It's like that's different, you yeah. know. Like if that's still in your collective consciousness, you don't have as much problem being like, yeah, well, let's get on board and like shape up so we can deal with this problem collectively but in america we're just like no don't tell me what to do yeah that's (laughs) i'm like i'm sorry like at some point all of us are going to be doing things that we don't want to do or maybe we disagree with you know well the the thing that i always thought was funny was that you know here's these people who are protesting you know um without masks Mm -hmm. um you know who are like literally barging into state capitals with guns somehow not being prosecuted as domestic terrorists i don't know how they get away i mean all I can say is if the Black Panthers busted yeah. into his house with guns um, or even into a fucking fast food restaurant with literally a yeah. rocket launcher, a, there's a picture being circulated today of someone, this group of armed militants who go into yeah. a subway. One of them is holding an, a rocket launcher. Yeah. It's rocket like, launcher. In this day and age, I mean, and, and then when you have the, the poor young guy, uh, black guy in, in Georgia got gunned down, it's just like at the time it's like, Either you get this or you don't at this point right. in our country that like this is there's serious discrepancies around that. 
But my question for those people, those gun-toting protesters, is like you. So much of your identity has been built up around this idea of rugged individualism. You've been stockpiling ammunition. You've been digging out a bunker. You've been, (laughs) you know what I mean? You've been critical of like how sort of codependent our society has become. And now it's your time to shine. It's your time to be a rugged individualist and to stay in your fucking bunker for a, a month or two. Right. Until we can get past this. And it's like, no, I need my haircut. I know. It was funny because, yeah, because when this all first went down, I actually was like, you know what? Those survivalists. All right. I get you. Yeah. I like I I was like actually giving some props to I'm like, all right. All right. Maybe I think sometimes you go too far, but all right. But then, yeah, if you turn around and be like, well, are you going to be in your bunker or are you going to not be in your like, I don't get it. It's just there's yeah, it doesn't add up. But yeah. And what I get it too. Like I said, actually come. That's my question. When the zombies are here, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, <laughs> that's why I go back earlier too. I, I do think that like, there's a lot of needs not being met in this country for the majority of Americans. And that if people had access to good healthcare, if there was a universal basic income, things like that, somehow if people felt okay, I think there's always going to be some assholes show up, but I'm like the intensity of it. Like, I don't know. I think actually most Americans are actually being reasonable. Like when it comes down to it, I don't think those people represent, I don't think that's the large percentage of Americans, but they get media and that's what happens. Like we're talking about the media over there. It's like you get a clip of somebody and it sounds like, well, how many people actually are there in the United States who are acting just like that? That's how the attention economy works, man. It's like, I don't know. I don't think it's that many, but there's those assholes are there for sure. That's, that's exactly right. The information age would tell us only this ratio of people actually have these views. In the attention age, it's like, wow, 90% of people have these views? Because that's yeah. what it feels like. Because in right. the attention economy, all you have is what this feels like, which brings us back yeah. to in an attention economy, all you have is my truth, which again is the sort of that's misnomer we're that we're using to, to, to title our show. Right. And um, it's such a paradox because it's like, well, I want my truth, egocentric thing, but then you want you want everybody else to get on board, which then you're asking people to be sociocentric, but right. yet you don't want to be actually part of the sociocentric. And so, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's a paradox that can't exist. So it's like, you either got to choose, do I want to be able to be, you know, through my tantrum tantrums and get what I want sometimes, or do I really want something bigger too? Dude, that's why all you got to do is, <laughs> is, is frame it in a dubious way so that you're like, no, this is the world centric response right here. Yeah, we're really talking about world centric. I'm just being world and cosmocentric here, guys. And maybe one day when you catch up, because I was like you years ago. This is again, these are all the currents and the flavors that I deal with when I'm in, you know, encountering this. But you know, I thought like you years ago, and maybe in a few years you'll wake up um and you won't be a sheeple anymore. And it's just like again, (laughs) it just keeps on bringing me back to like, how is this not fundamentalist religion? Yeah. Um at some point. Yeah. Yep. Well, any other uh, any other comments anywhere? I think I was all in there. I I might have to go find my truth in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, drink too much water. You, you, <laughs> even the Buddha has to shit every day. Yeah, <laughs> part of reality, man. Yeah. Keeps you keeps you grounded. Well, this is a, another one of those topics where I feel like we're um, scratching the. Surface. Yeah, there's so much to talk about and so many. To, yeah. We hit a lot upon, upon a lot of things that I'm, I was wanting to hit on and so much. I mean, I'm sure this stuff will come up in other episodes. It seems like the right timing, though, for it, given yeah. the tensions. 
we're yeah, and, and it. maybe what we'll do, Ryan, is we'll see sort of how this um, how this episode lands with people, sort of what yeah. questions we have, and um, I'm guessing we'll get a response to this. I hope we get a response to this. Let us know that response either in the comments down there or on Facebook. Tag us. Let us know what you thought of this. Awesome Great show, to- my man. Yeah, it was really fun, and uh, looking forward to seeing what everybody thought and hearing their reflections and look for the next time beautiful all right everyone thanks for joining us ryan it's always fun my name <laughs> thanks see ya bye guys bye